Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. This is Danny. Join me as we go deep into God's Word, as we discover the hidden gems and hidden treasures that God has made available to us all if we would have but ears to hear and eyes to see. As you come with me on this journey, let's explore God's Word and see what He desires to show and tell us in our day. This may be your first time or the next time, but I welcome you here. Let's dig in and see what the Lord has for us today. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is part two of episode number eight. And in the previous episode, we laid some groundwork for out of 1 Samuel chapter 14. And so this is going to be the continuation to that, and hopefully we'll conclude uh, everything that the Lord has to say regarding this section. Uh, first, I want to welcome uh, you returning uh, listeners, and I welcome my new friends outside of the United States. Uh, it looks like we just continue to add additional countries, and so I welcome you for taking the time to come check this out. And I hope it ministers to your heart and the Lord um, speaks to you in a very powerful way and you find him in in new ways and new lights uh, in the name of Jesus. So I bless you and thank you. So we're going to just kind of jump into part two here. Previously, I laid some, some discussion around some of the new perspective that I had in uh, the verse, verse 13 of 1 Samuel chapter 14. We talked a little bit about Saul's discernment uh, inability, and we talked a little about you know how that battle transpired, how Jonathan and his armor bearer trusted in God to do a mighty thing and let him lead. And then we discussed also, in addition, Saul's kind of rash oath, you know his his flippant oath that he's made. Uh, discussed a little bit about eating eating the blood and why is why is that important? Why does that matter? And then um, we talked about the the altar that Saul built, and we kind of touched on why altars are important. And so where we ended is around verse thirty six, and I wanted to 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 ask you uh, as I as I rounded out that that topic, you know the. The portion that says, do whatever seems good to you is what they said in verse 36. And I wanted you to kind of think about like, you know, what do you, what do you make of that? What is your, what is your feeling about that as you read it? And so we're going to jump back into that. So it was verse 36 of 1 Samuel chapter 14. And it says, then Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and despoil them until the morning light. Let us not leave one of them, they said. Do whatever seems good to you. So this is the people's response to Saul. They said, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near God here. And I think that's a very, very powerful reality because so many times in our in our walk, we... Well, just to be honest, we sometimes we think that we have the answers, we've got it figured out, and just much like Saul and the and the people there around him, 
they were just very quick to say, you know what, you just do what, what you think you should do. And it took the priest pointing out, hey, how about let's seek the heart of God on this matter? And so that's very important. So just on the surface, though, when we think about that, do whatever seems good to you. That, it, that That's actually a phrase that's used several times throughout the Old Testament. And, and in some context, uh, I believe it's also spoken by Nathan the prophet to David regarding building the temple, uh, building it from a tabernacle into a, a, a fine house. And that was Nathan's response to David. So, but as I process it in this story, um, on the surface, it seems, you know, maybe positive, but but I believe it actually to have a negative concept. And and here's really why I believe that. So, if we're going to turn to Judges, the book of Judges, chapter 21... And verse 25. So just bear with me. I'm turning here with you. Probably should have pre-turned to this prior. Okay, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. So let's read that. Judges 21, 25. And it reads this. In those days there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. And, and that's the phrase, that's the, the line that, that comes to mind as I read the phrase, do whatever seems good to you. Verse 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. This is prior to Saul. All the people did what was right in their own eyes. Do whatever seems good to you. Now, when we read this scripture, what is that statement tied to? What is it married to? in the chapter. And it actually is chapter 21 in Judges is actually a story that's involving the tribe of Benjamin and how there was they had done great wrong in Israel. The other tribes banded together and they they ended up killing nearly, putting to death nearly all of the tribe of Benjamin. There was only, at the very end of it all, there was only 600 of the tribe of Benjamin that remained. And and Israel's leaders had agreed to not give any of their, any of their children or daughters to marry these Benjaminites. So they were concerned about the tribe of Benjamin. They didn't want them to to get wiped off the face of the earth and to be no more. So they conceived a plan and 
400 virgins were given to these Benjamin Benjaminites as wives from Jabesh Gilead, but that left about 200 uh, from the tribe of Benjamin that remained wifeless. So the leaders of Israel contrived this plan that in Shiloh, um, there was a celebration. This was a, a yearly festival that was uh, done unto the Lord. And in Shiloh lived the tribe of Ephraim. But because it was a yearly festival, many throughout came to the region. These were not just people of the tribe of Ephraim. But, but absolutely, there would have been. And what they conspired to do is these men of Benjamin were told to wait and kind of hide out. And when women would pass by, they would jump out and grab one and take them back to his homeland. And so they uh, literally abducted these women so that they could become their wives and the line of Benjamin could continue. Now, this was all to sidestep the oath that they had made. And this reinforces, I believe, the significance that Jesus says in Matthew 5.37, let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than this is from the evil one. So this, this truly like abomination that, that the leaders conspired along with the tribe of Benjamin, you know, when you think about it, they had, out of 600 men, 400 had wives, the line of Benjamin would have continued. It actually was, I think, greed and lust that drove them to, to want more. The, the line was safe with 400, but their desire for more, the, the frustration of not enough caused them to do this abominable thing, this abduction of women. Now, the men, as you continue to read in that, these fathers, these men would come to the leaders and say, uh, in, in extremely upset, as they rightly should be, and they just kind of coax them into, you know, well, just let this happen. We made an oath. We can't break our oath. This is a way that you can actually walk away with your hands clean in the matter, and we'll just let it be so that the tribe remains. So it's just this, this real stain and blot in all of these parties that participated. And so that story ties into the end of verse uh, of Judges 21, 25, when it said, In those days there was no king, and all the people did what was right in their own eyes. So it's very important that when the priest said, Let us draw near to God. That was a very wise word. And so... Whatever seems right to us is usually wrong. Let us seek the heart of God to determine what he says regarding a matter. 
And then let us have obedience and trust that what he says, that he will see it through and we can walk in faith and obedience. So we'll continue reading. And it says, so in verse 37, Saul inquired of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he, God, did not answer him that day. Saul said, Come here, all of you, all of you leaders of the people, and let us find out how this sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, even if it is my son Jonathan, he shall surely die. But there was no one among all the people who answered him. So, one the next thing that I want to really, really want to drive home in this, especially out of verse thirty-seven, is that Saul asked God for direction. He prayed, but it said he God did not answer him that day. So, this begs the question: Does sin? Because this is Saul's response. Let us, let us find out how this sin has arisen today. So does sin keep your prayers from being heard? Now, so I want to read quite, quite a number of scriptures, um, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, so that I can definitively answer this question. Does sin keep your prayers from being heard? So first, first one, and I'm going to just kind of shotgun blast through these as quickly as possible in the interest of time, but I will write these verses down uh, in the show description so that you can have them and reference them at your own, at your own pace. So 2 Chronicles 7.14, and it reads this, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Psalm 34, I'm going to read 11 through 19. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which of you desires life and covets many days to enjoy good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Get this, but the Lord rescues them from them all. The next one is Psalms 66, 17 through 20. If 
and it says, I cried aloud to him, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has given heed to the words of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. He said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Next one is Proverbs fifteen twenty nine, And it says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Next one, Proverbs 28, verse 9. When one will not listen to the law, even one's prayers are an abomination. Now, don't get caught up in the fact that he says the law. It's easy for you to think, oh, well, we're not under the law, and we're, and we're not. But it's the, it's, it's, the, it's the heart inside the matter. When one will not listen to what is the law, it's the speaking of God. It's what he spoke, what he decreed, what he commands. When one will not listen to what God commands, even one's prayers are an abomination. Isaiah is the next one. Chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. And he says, When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. This is God speaking. I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Re rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Isaiah 59, 1-2. through 2. See, the Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Rather, your iniquities have been barriers between you and and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. That's powerful. But now, this is not just an Old Testament promise. Don't get trapped in the whole, in the mentality that, you know, this Old Testament versus New Testament, and the Old Testament doesn't apply, and now it's, don't get caught up in that. But, just to, to show this exists on both sides of this covenant. I have several New Testament scriptures as well. John 8, uh, John chapter 8, verse 47. Jesus says, Whoever is from God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not from God. John nine thirty one. We know that God, so these, these, are, these are the religious men who are speaking regarding this situation when the, the blind man was, received his sight. Verse 31, it says, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to one who worships him and obeys his will. James 
5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that ye may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Next one is 1 Peter 3, verse 7, and also verse 12. Verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, show consideration for your wives in your life together, praying, I'm sorry, paying honor to the woman as the weaker sex, since they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. He's saying, if you don't consider your wives paying honor to them because they too are heirs of this gracious gift of life, if you do not do that, your prayers can be hindered. All right, look at verse 12. This is actually a quote from what we had previously read out of Psalms 34. So Peter, in 1 Peter 3.12, he is connecting this reality out of the Old Testament. It was from Psalms 34, but it's 1 Peter 3.12. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. All right, 1 John, this is the last one. 1 John 3.22, and it says, And we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, in 1 John 3, verse, I'm going to read three verses, and and I want to kind of establish something here as we round out this little section. But it's 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, 8, and then also verse 10, the first part of 10. So 1 John 3, 7, and 8 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Speaking of Christ. Everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And then we see in verse 10, it says, The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. So if you look at the original text, this, this would have been written in Greek. I want to shed some additional light on some of the Greek word that was used, and it's in verse 8 and verse 10. In verse 8, everyone who commits sin is a child of the devil. Okay, so that word is, if you tr- translate it in the, in, out of the New King James translation, it says, he who sins is of the devil. Now, that word sins, if you look it up in the Greek, it's a phrase, and it's, and I'm going to mess this up, but poieo ho harmatia. Okay, so that the word I the word I really want you to notice is that first part poieo p o i e o. Now, it's a phrase, but that's the emphasis that I want to pray to press on it. 
He said, he who sins, so the original Greek for that sins is that pueo ho harmatia. Okay. He who sins is of the devil. Now look at verse 10 and that first, it's that first part of verse 10, the part that the, the A clause, the children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way. All who not, all who do not do what is right are not from God. In the New King James, it translates it this way, whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God. Okay, if you look up that word practice in the Greek, it, you, it's the word poieo, P-O-I-E-O. It's that same word that begins the phrase in sins. Now, if we, if we piece those concepts together, we can re, we can identify it to, to, we can better understand it to mean, so whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Whoever does not make a practice of righteousness is not of God. So this this is still um, this is still John writing. So we're not we're not crossing over between different different authors. But there are different words used, and they help us to as we look at them as a whole picture. That helps us a, a little bit to under, better understand what he's saying. Now here in the United States, when we use the word practice, we actually. We actually can, we, we call when a, when a doctor, um, when he practices medicine, we, we also say a lawyer practices law. And so when you think about the word practice, it can mean to conduct yourself, to operate in. Um, it's something that you live in. So that's their profession. That's the that's their day to day, the way they operate and conduct themselves. So, when John is saying, "He who sins," he's saying he who practices sinning or conducts themselves when you make a when you conduct yourself or when you operate in sin, you're of the devil. And so if we don't make a practice of righteousness, then that is a demonstration that we are not of God. You see, that, that is not to say that the, the person who is saved, the Christian, it's not to say that they, that they, never, um, they never break God's commandment or they never, or they never disregard his, um, or his, disregard his decree or think a thing that they shouldn't or act in a way that they shouldn't. It's very important to realize that we're not actually saying that as Christians we're perfect. We mess up. But it does mean that we do not make a practice of, we do not operate in, we do not conduct ourselves in in sin, but rather we conduct ourselves in a manner of righteousness, every day growing to be more like Jesus. 
and allowing him to mold us and shape us into who he's called us to be, to be conformed into the image of the Son, of Jesus. So, so I, I believe that I can affirmatively and definitively, through the course of all of those scriptures, say, yes, sin puts a wall up between you and God. And so there's, there's people right now listening to this who are operating in a willful disobedience of God, who, who have said yes to give, to give their hearts to the Lord, to allow Him to be uh, their, their leader and their authority, and to submit themselves to Him. But there are things that, that have yet to be given over, even though that we, we know them to be wrong. And so I would just I would just really invite you to come into that place of saying, "Yes, I see that I am I am rejecting his full leadership in my life and I am operating in a manner that he has called me to be greater than." And so I would just I would say to to turn to Jesus and repent, say I see you have shown me this insufficiency in my life, in my heart, in my unwillingness to let go of that um, intentional life of sin and run to him and allow him to take you into his arms like, like a loving father and say, you have, you have turned your heart away from that. I accept you and I cleanse you through his sacrifice through his blood and we and there there is a time that is that is this is necessary that we must do while it's still light while there's spiritual light on the earth we must turn from our sin we must reject our sin and and run to the father and allow him to to make the righteousness of uh, his righteousness to make it our righteousness through Christ. It's a, it's a beautiful picture. And God, he, it says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a beautiful reality because even when we were steeped in our, in our dark, stinky sin, Christ said, I want to make it available to you. I will die for you so that you may live. It says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 and 25, but he says, The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. Jesus goes on to say in the, in the Gospels that, Seek me and you will find me. Seek to those who seek you will find knock and the door will be open to you ask and you shall receive so it's it's just this he has this willing heart to to say if you will come to me together we can break down these walls of of living less than what he has called you to live in and so in this last section here as we wrap up i want to uh, we're going to read Verse 37, we said verse 37 through 39, Saul inquires of God. God does not give him an answer. Saul says, okay, we need to figure out um, who here has sinned. 
And he says in verse 39, For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, even if it is in my son Jonathan, he shall surely die. Here goes Saul again with these flippant oaths. And we'll see this uh, to, to bite him at the end of it. But as we continue to read the, the rest of that section through verse 46, I want to touch on some things. So, but there was no one among all the people who answered him. Verse 40, he said to all Israel, you shall be on one side and I and my son Jonathan will be on the other side. So he splits them in half. Israel on one side, him and Jonathan on the other. The people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. There it is again. Verse 41, then Saul said, he calls out, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant today? Speaking of himself, if this guilt is in me or in my son Jonathan, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people, Israel, give Thuman. And Jonathan and Saul were indicated by the lot, but the people were cleared. Now it says, then Saul said, cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan, and Jonathan was taken by lot. Now, uh, you could kind of discover this a little more, but the lot was a way for God to, you know, it was this, it, it was almost like, you know, throwing dice to see how it lands, but um, this is something, uh, an action, a, um, a mechanism that they used in the Old Testament prior to the abiding presence of Holy Spirit who would speak and minister to your heart. He would speak to you and direct you. We, we, don't, we don't resort to those methods anymore because we have the indwelling presence. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we have this indwelling Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who knows the heart and mind of God, who can share with what, with what is in the heart of God and can make it known to us. You know, who can know the depths of God except the Spirit of God? And then as the Spirit desires to, through the direction, through the leadership of, of the Father and the Son, He makes known to us the depths of God. It's beautiful. Then Saul cast the lot between him and his son, and Jonathan was taken. So Jonathan was identified as the guilty one. Remember, he, he ultimately had touched the tip of his spear into the honey after Saul had made everyone promise you're not eating today until I get vengeance on the enemy. So then in verse 33, Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. Saul said, God, do so to me and more also. You shall surely die, Jonathan. There's another flippant oath. He basically right there is saying, if I don't put you to death, may God do do so to me and even more if I don't put you to death. Verse 35, 45, Then the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great victory in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God today. So the people ransomed Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul withdrew from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Now, as I read this, and I, and I begin to really think on it, you know, clearly on the front end of the story, God was with Jonathan. 
God revealed uh, God revealed the 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 fact that he would go before him and defeat the Philistines ahead of him. God revealed that to him. Jonathan obeyed and he went forward. So he did this great thing and and Jonathan didn't even know about the oath. He just he he saw it that the his army they they worked hard. They fought valiantly. And so he tastes of the honey because it's there and he doesn't know the oath. But I think on this and I and I was and I kind of asked the Lord, what? Why did this happen this way? You know, Saul is acting in a way that's below what God has called him to. And and so I ask, why did this transpire? And so I have a few things that I want to point out. Number one, Jonathan was guilty. And we see this because as they cast the lot, the lot fell on him. So this is something that God ordained to be seen. If 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 God didn't want to make it known, he wouldn't have had the lot fall or the the finger basically pointed at Jonathan. So God ordained this to be seen. This is a picture of God's sovereignty. So Jonathan was guilty. Now number 2, Jonathan confessed his wrongdoing. He says that in um, verse Yes, yeah, so in verse 30, 43, Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am. I will die. Jonathan confessed his wrongdoing. Now, this is there's a couple important points here. Even ignorance is not justification for sin. I'm going to say that again because that's an important phrase. Ignorance is not justification for sin. Just because you didn't know that it's it's not something that you're supposed to do or you were allowed to do. Just like with Jonathan, he didn't know, but he did it in he did it, but he was still guilty of sin. So the fact that we don't know about something doesn't exclude us from guilt. My my mom before the Lord rescued my heart and, and touched me in a powerful, powerful way. I rem, my mom has reminded me when I was a young, uh, a young teenager that I would tell her that, well, if I don't read the Bible, then, you know, I'm not responsible for what's inside, but it doesn't, but it doesn't work that way. Ignorance is not an excuse for sin. We're not justified because we're ignorant of it. So, but, but here in the second point, Jonathan confesses his wrongdoing. This is a picture of repentance. So, number one, Jonathan was guilty. He was guilty. Number two, he confessed his wrong, his wrongdoing. That's repentance. Number three, the, what did the people do? After the, guilt, the guilty um, 
the guilt was pronounced upon Jonathan, the people said to Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great victory in Israel? Far from it. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God today. So the people ransomed Jonathan, and he did not die. They stood. This is powerful. You, you really need to set your mind to this reality. This is amazing. The people stood against the king's desire. This is a big deal. They essentially told Saul, no. <laughs> the people told the king, no. This is a picture of Jesus stepping in on our behalf as, as sons and daughters. So when we are in darkness... Just and and think of those those steps. His guilt, he repented. Now he's ransomed. Is exactly what happens when we come to Jesus. When we surrender our will, we let Christ we let Christ rule and reign our lives. We give our our desires, our affections, our our you know our plans, all these things. When we surrender ourselves to Jesus and we come underneath his leadership, we say yes to him, We've, we turn away, we repent, we, we say, I, I see that I am wicked and there is nothing good in me. Forgive me. I proclaim you, I declare you as leader of my life and I will follow after you. And Jesus steps in just like the people did. Jesus steps in and he says, you surely will not die. You surely will not die. Not a hair of your head will be harmed. And and so Jesus plays this part like we're reading in this story of the people who ransom Jonathan. Jesus ransoms us from the penalty, from the consequences of sin and death when we come to him and submit to his leadership. And number four, Saul's authority and his dominion begins to diminish here in this reality. Saul's ignorance and his poor decisions become a blemish to his name here in this moment. He is declaring things that he, he should not be saying but the people stand up and say, not today. And so he gets, there, there becomes a blemish on, on, his, on his reign and rule here in this moment. So just kind of in closing, um, it, it, in the last few verses, it talks about the continued war. Saul fights on every side uh, throughout his rule. Um, it talks about some of his sons and and daughters, and that there was just hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And every time Saul saw any strong or valiant warrior, he took him into his service. Now, this is before. Um, this is before Saul brings in David, King David. And uh, I do encourage you to read, continue reading here in this in First Samuel. It's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful story um, of redemption of you know f- uh, fall from from 
purpose and plans. You know, it wasn't it wasn't God's intention that Saul not walk in the fullness of what God intended. Saul had an opportunity, and we all have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to hear God, to stay close to his heart so that we can be tuned to what he's saying. We can have discernment because he desires the best for you. doesn't mean he desires that, that all things are just going to be peachy and wonderful and easy. He's not promised that. Jesus said, in this, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Uh, Paul, he, he writes in one of his letters that essentially the, the, he says, the trouble that I have, the affliction that I have in this life, it is nothing compared to the infinite, the infinite glory of knowing God. And we can know God through Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father. No man can come to God except through him. So I would just encourage you to, if you've given your life to Jesus, I would encourage you to to draw near to him. If you don't, if you're not hungry to know him more, then ask him. Just just ask him and say, I, I want to be hungry for you. Let me know you. Let me find you and discover you. Let me seek you and and uncover the desire that you have for me. He the the amazing thing is that he wants he wants you to desire him. And there's no way that we can match his desire that he has for us, but but we come to him with with this open with these open hands and we say, "Here I am. Take all of me." And that's all he wants is all of you. And and so if you haven't yet if you haven't yet said yes to giving your life to be under the leadership of Jesus, then I would encourage you to do that. Um, the times that we live in, it's, it's, it's wild how things are progressing and, and, and Jesus is coming back. He's coming to collect those who would say yes to him, who would submit their lives to him and who follow and seek after him. He's coming back for us. And so I would encourage you, while there is time, say yes and seek him with everything that you are. And in seeking him, you'll find him. And in finding him, it'll perpetuate your seeking even greater. So I bless you and thank you. Until next time. Thanks for joining me. I hope this blessed your heart and you leave with something special. Let us press in to know Him more. Let us press in to know Him more. And He will find us in seeking and seek us in finding. God bless you.